Welcome to Marketing Thought Leadership, the podcast that offers insightful discussions on thought-provoking marketing topics. Here's the host of our show, marketing consultant, speaker, author, and educator, and the president of Leverage 2 Market Associates, Linda Popke. Hi, this is Linda Popke, and welcome to our latest episode of Marketing Thought Leadership. I'm here today with Scott Edinger. Scott is recognized as an expert in helping organizations achieve top and bottom line growth. He's the founder of Edinger Consulting Group, and he's worked with leaders in nearly every industry sector, companies like AT&T, Lenovo, and the Los Angeles Times. He helps them formulate and implement growth strategies, increase revenue and profit, develop leadership capacity, drive employee engagement, and attract and retain talent. And he's the co-author of the Washington Post bestseller, The Hidden Leader. So welcome, Scott. Thanks, Linda. I, uh, that was a great list. I was hoping you'd just keep going there and we'd take up the whole time. <laughs> there we go. And it could have been longer, but, you know, but I wanted to get to ask you're you kind. some questions. No, so you're kind. Tell I appreciate me, the nice intro. Tell me about this idea about the hidden leader, because we hear about leaders on the top and leaders in the bottom and leaders in the middle. But yeah. what is a hidden leader? So we tend to look upward in organization uh, for – position or title and authority for leadership. And uh, while that's important, uh, and I could argue necessary in order for success for business, uh, we don't often see great leadership happening in places where we wouldn't be normally looking for it. Individual contributors, frontline supervisors, even mid-managers who aren't typically considered leaders of an organization are possessing of a tremendous amount of leadership capability and provide a lot of leadership influence on organizations. And uh, ergo, they are hidden. We don't tend to look there for leaders. And there's a lot of power if you can harness uh, the energy of those folks and get them working in a way that provides that kind of leadership for your business, it can be powerful. You know, that's something, it's interesting because you're right, we don't look at those folks for leadership. So what made you decide to come up with this idea? What made these hidden people so visible to you? Yeah, so um, a few years ago, uh, I was with a former colleague uh, from my PricewaterhouseCoopers days, and he was telling me about a project that he was working on, on reverse mentoring. And in the firm, this was essentially senior partners in the organization being mentored by new associates. Oh, okay. So kind of different uh, than the way he usually works. And they were seeing a lot of benefits to that with technology and a handful of other, uh, you know, of the obvious elements, but they found a lot of value in that. And at the same time, I was reading an article on reverse innovation, which talked about the flow of innovation typically coming from, you would think, more developed nations to uh, the uh, you know, proverbial third world countries. But in reverse innovation, the less developed uh, uh, nations in the world have, abso- have actually ported uh, some of their innovations to Europe and America and Uh, other places in South Africa. So I was seeing reverse everywhere, reverse mentoring, reverse innovation. So I thought about reverse leadership, uh, where the flow of leadership is not just top-down, but the flow actually went up in an organization. So I wrote an article for Harvard Business Review about that and got a lot of, uh, I guess I'll call it fan mail, a lot of people who really liked the idea and um, sort of inspired me after a conversation with a woman who I'd done some work with, Lori Sane, 
to write about this more. And then Lori suggested, hey, you should write a book about this, and I'd like to help you. So off we went. That's great. So that's fantastic. So uh, how, tell me about this connection between having these leaders who are hidden or, mm-hmm. or lower in the organization and, and acting like an owner, because are these folks acting like owners? Are they acting like they feel empowered? Well, it's interesting. Uh, you know, that phrase, act like an owner, has been around for a while. I, I think it was made popular by a book published years ago. But you hear it a lot. And when it's um, being talked about, it's frequently talked about among executives. Like I'll hear it from some of my clients, you know, or CEO or at the you know, EVP kind of level. Uh, and it always makes sense. Everybody sort of nods. But it became really clear to me about a year ago when I was doing some work uh, with folks who were in a call center of a large corporation, and we talked about, you know, what this idea of acting like an owner meant. And some smart aleck, who I'll never forget, says, you know, so does acting like an owner mean that I can show up late, drive a nicer car, and kind of do what I want? And everybody laughed. (laughs) Yeah. But I thought that was kind of poignant because I don't imagine that when senior executives say I want people to act like an owner of the business, that that is what they're talking about. But that's what they see. Yep, that's what employees see. That's what they see. So when I talk with, you know, whether it is a CEO or a COO or, you know, whoever it is at that leadership level of an organization about what they mean when they say act like an owner, I tend to hear things like, I want to have people in my organization who have a lot of energy and passion about the work that we are doing, who aren't just trading time for money. I want people who really understand all the things that we can do for clients, not just their singular function. I want people who have good relationships in the business so that we can work together instead of being in silos. And most importantly, I want to be able to count on people. I want people to be accountable, and I want uh, them to be following through, and I want to have people who I can trust here. And you dissect all of those little behaviors, and all of a sudden, that starts to sound a lot like leadership behaviors. And that uh, anybody in an organization can understand because – We all understand leadership innately, but most of the employees in organizations have no idea what it means to be an owner of an organization. They're not really having an ownership stake of any significance or owners of a business. So that concept really starts to translate for them and being able to break it down and say, here's what it looks like when you're not leading from the top of the org chart. Now, do you see more of these hidden leaders or this feeling of ownership when you do have something like an ESOP where employees actually own the company? Well, I think that's definitely a part of it, right? You know, the whole notion of providing people ownership uh, creates that feeling. The real, you know, the real key point here is do they really understand what that means? So you and I have probably seen plenty of employees who are a part of an ESOP or an employee-owned company who really didn't completely get the idea of what it meant. Right. But if people under but if people understand that ownership capability, then yes, absolutely. If they don't, then helping them to understand what it means to be a leader, regardless of position or title, and to translate leadership into specific behaviors, you know, sort of decouple it from position or, or the hierarchy, then that really starts to resonate as well. And I think that's so important because the title, as we all know, that some titles actually do mean something and some titles don't. And sometimes sure. it's the people who are totally titleless, so to speak, or, or without a big title who are holding the power in an organization and really driving things forward or getting in the way. So it's important sure. to know who's, who's got that power and, and in the sense that that's a part of leadership. 
So yeah, not everybody can see it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, not everybody will. One of the things that uh, one of the terms that I've uh, had a handful of people talk with me about since the book was published was the idea of the shadow org chart. I had not heard that term. But you've got the real org chart and then yep. the shadow org chart, which is who's actually getting things done. Yep. Um, and sometimes they're not the same positions on the boxes that have the titles. So uh, that would be the more uh, hidden in the shadows type of leader. Exactly. So not everybody in an organization is going to be a hidden leader, right? I mean, there's, there's going to be some people who say, hey, I'm, I'm happy to, to follow. So what are the characteristics that make a good hidden leader or, or make someone good potential to be a hidden leader? Yeah, and I'd, I'd, uh, I'd first put an, um, an accent on the, the comment that you'd made a moment ago. Certainly not everybody is going to be leading uh, in that they're not going to necessarily be directing or setting the direction. But I do believe that it is possible that everybody in an organization can exhibit leadership behaviors. I haven't seen it happen much. I've seen it in a few places. Um, but it is powerful when you start to create the kind of environment where people can understand that leadership is about the behavior. Uh, and you had asked me about some of the characteristics. So the first one uh, that we wrote about in the book was called uh, Demonstrating Integrity. And I really wanted, I was careful about the use of the terminology here because when we think of integrity, um, we tend to think of things like character, honesty, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And that's definitely part of it. Like, I, I've never had a conversation with someone who said, well, you know, I don't have much integrity. I'm not to be counted on or trusted. We all kind of think we have the integrity. Uh, but certainly demonstrating it is a little bit different because if I start to ask people, well, how good are you at keeping all of your commitments on time? Or do you cancel a lot of things toward the end? Or when um, you know, you're expected to do something, uh, are you accountable for it? And if people ask you, ask you about an idea in a meeting, uh, is your feedback honest about that idea? Or does it matter who's sitting around the table? All of a sudden, so people start to say, oh, okay. I get that there's a difference here. And then certainly, if you're asked about feedback in a situation, are you candid about it? Do you speak the truth about that? Or do you shade it in a way that people want to hear it? So there's integrity of thought and action here as well. Okay. Uh, so that's a big thing. Um, and certainly when you think about being accountable, that whole notion of acting like an owner and being tr developing relationships on trust, that becomes a huge issue, not just the table stakes, not lying, not cheating, not stealing. A uh, second one that we wrote about was this notion of being customer purposed. Um, not to draw distinctions without a difference, customer service uh, and customer loyalty often fall short of really understanding customer purpose. And um, when we wrote about customer purpose, it was essentially understanding what your customers or your clients, whatever you call them, your members are trying uh, to do by working with your organization. What is the innate value that you provide for them? Um, not just the product or the service, but what are they getting from that? And if you can understand that, then those are the people who are really able to bring the value of all of the capabilities of an organization to customers. Um, a third and area that we really – oh, go ahead. I was going to say what I love about that, Scott, because I talk about that in my book, uh, Marketing Above the Noise, that you've got to really get close to your customers. And it's the employees that are your number one customer advocates. 
They're the ones with customers. Sure. They're the ones who are talking to customers. They're the first ones that customers are going to get upset with when they don't respond, when they don't bring mm-hmm. forward those purpose and values and brand that you talk about. So understanding what the value is beyond just the customer is there to buy my product and they're there because mm-hmm. we offer a product, I think is absolutely critical. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, the old phrase, customers tend to be responsible for 100% of the revenue. Right. Um, most of the time, at least. The, the whole idea of understanding what they're trying to accomplish, and, you know, one of the illustrations in the book uh, that I think anybody who has ever tried to connect multiple pieces of technology to work together, but those pieces of technology, be it hardware or software, weren't from the same provider. Oh, yeah. Anybody who's tried to get all those things to work it together in concert, whether it's been stereo systems, computers, or pool equipment, um, understands the importance of being customer-purposed and understanding what you're trying to do and bringing that together for you. Uh, and certainly not everybody pointing the finger and saying, well, it's the other guy's problem. Absolutely. So tell uh, me about then, the third oh, characteristic. Yeah. Yeah, third characteristic was really about a results orientation and an outcome orientation. Many folks uh, in organizations today, uh, well-intentioned, hardworking people, don't even understand the ultimate result that they are helping to achieve, uh, let alone being able to focus on it. And those hidden leaders have an ability to be results-oriented, not get bogged down in process. I'm not suggesting that they're process rebels. But certainly, they're able to ask the question, what are we trying to accomplish here, and then determine the best ways to do it. So they keep their eye on the ball of the outcome, not just, here's what I need to do next on the checklist, or this is what I'm doing this hour. Their outcome. I love that, too, because it's, again, it, and it's, I talk about metrics and internal and externally focused, and we're so focused on the internal metrics in many cases, which is, I did this, I clicked, uh, I got so many right. clicks, I got so many people, that we don't think about those external outcome focuses, which are uh, really much more important. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's everything in a lot of ways. And, and then the final element here is that uh, they develop strong relationships. Uh, one of the, the, the phrase we use in the book is that they lead through relationships. Because remember, these folks don't have positional power or right. title authority. Uh, they have to exert their influence in another way. So they lead through relationships. And I think that's absolutely critical. We know what, what a relationship business, uh, we, we know what it, how important relationships are to business in general, but we don't think about it, I think, sometimes for the folks who don't have those leader titles or aren't in positions of leadership, that they, they have to do that because you're right, they don't have, no one's given them this innate authority to make people do what they want. They've got to do it through building relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So tell me, how does one build a business that really supports these kinds of hidden leaders? Because I'll, I'll bet there are some businesses where this tends to happen a little more often and in some environments where it's just really hard for this hidden leadership to, to grow. Yeah, so this has um, everything to do with environment, um, the popular term being the culture. Yep. Um, but whether it is environment or culture, uh, whatever f- uh, terminology you want to utilize here, Uh, The real issue is about mindset for people uh, because how they approach work uh, is what will inform their behaviors. So whatever it is they believe about your business and what's acceptable and what the standards are and how people behave, um, and that's gained through observation, you know, 
whatever that mindset is, that is what will inform their behaviors. And the thing I always share with, you know, senior execs when I've gotten letters or uh, – not really letters, email letters, I suppose, uh, or have been contacted about the book, I will hear, hey, do you have a training program uh, that we could train people to be hidden leaders? Um, not really, because that will never get the job done. It's about the environment that's created. And unfortunately, this is the one thing that hidden leaders cannot do for you. This is the one thing that senior leaders – uh, starting at the top of the org chart, have to value and demonstrate and be observable about. Um, because if they aren't, then there's no way the kind of environment that's needed for this will be created. This is the one thing that hidden leaders cannot do for you. Your formal leaders have to do this. And they do that by modeling the right behaviors so that people can observe them in action, by rewarding and recognizing when others uh, exhibit the proper behaviors, that there are consequences when people behave in ways that is not acceptable to the culture. And then, of course, there's rewards and uh, recognition for uh, being in line with what's expected. So if you can do those things as a leader and set up that kind of environment and invite either dissent or uh, not so popular opinion, you'll have a very open kind of culture or environment in which leadership thrives everywhere. So it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is, is you need to set the culture that you want, which has integrity and it has a customer purpose and it helps build relationships and, uh, and is very results-oriented. Uh, but then you've got to walk the talk or walk the walk and yeah. talk the talk. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the book, we used uh, QR codes, um, which I didn't even really know what they were until we started using them. But there's a lot of mobile worksheets and assessments that you can utilize to establish how these sort of uh, behavioral elements or leadership components come to life inside your business and how you work with people on these sorts of things. But really, this is the one thing that, that uh, developing this sort of environment where leadership flourishes throughout the organization, not just in a pocket here or a pocket there, uh, is something that the senior leadership needs to take seriously. So this is where our senior leaders need to look under under the covers and see what's hidden underneath and make sure that what's hidden there is, is what's showing up on the outside as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good. So, Scott, if we wanted to find out more about the book, where, where would someone go? Uh, there's two places you could go. Place number one would be uh, my website, which is www.edinger, E-D-I-N-G-E-R, group, G-R-O-U-P.com. So it's edingergroup.com. And there is an icon with the book. You can click on that, and there's videos, worksheets, uh, sample chapters from the book, uh, and a whole host of other resources. And then uh, I created a book a website for the book itself, which has some of the same content, uh, and that is thehiddenleader.com. Thehiddenleader.com. Okay. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking with Scott Edinger about Hidden Leaders and uncovering some of the uh, secrets of hidden leaders, including the fact that our senior leaders need to be involved with them. So thank you, Scott. It's, uh, it, it's actually Thanks, quite exciting to have this information. Oh, this great, is Linda great, uh, great to talk with you. Thank you, Linda. Great. This is Linda Popke. Until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Thought Leadership. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Marketing Thought Leadership, brought to you by Leverage2 Market Associates. If you'd like to find out how powerful marketing results can transform your organization, 
contact us at www.leverage2market.com.